Every religious community has its high holidays, those special days when the institution is busiest, when the faithful are most involved in community rituals, when the children are excited and doing activities. Every religious community has holidays like that. Now, Unitarian Universalists like to say they celebrate many holidays and many traditions, but an outside observer will attest that one holiday stands out, stands out, and that holiday is Christmas. Now, to the outside observer, that may seem strange, and they may ask, how do you celebrate Christmas? Many Unitarian Universalists don't identify as Christians. In fact, some of our fellow religious liberals pride themselves on debunking Christian mythology. Those of us among us who do consider ourselves more Christian than not don't, like, don't take the nativity stories literally. In fact, most of us see these stories as wonderful fictions, beautiful legends that grew out of the earliest Christian imagination. The outsider might ask, how can you celebrate Christmas unless you believe that Mary gave birth to the Son of God, that she was a virgin, and that three wise men showed up after following a star? My own answer is simple. We celebrate Christmas because the themes of peace on earth, goodwill toward all, are expressions of a universal, inclusive, and world-affirming faith, expressions that Unitarians, and Universalists made a significant contribution toward establishing within the Christmas tradition. Unitarians and Universalists helped to redefine the meaning of this holiday. Understanding that redefinition, understanding what maybe you would prefer to call a revisioning, helps us understand both Christmas and ourselves. So first, let's look at some history so that we, got, we get the context of what the Unitarians did to this holiday. First, the earliest Christians didn't celebrate the birth of Christ. They simply didn't do that. For two centuries, they didn't do that. They did not know, nor did they care, about the day of the year that Jesus was born. In fact, the early church fathers discouraged the celebration of all birthdays, everybody's birthday. They believed it was a pagan practice to celebrate birthdays. Oregon, writing in the second century of the common area, polemicized against birthday celebrations, and he pointed out that in all of the Bible, only bad guys celebrated their birthdays. Check it out. Get your Bible. Read it. Of all the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, only the Pharaoh and Herod are recorded to have had birthday parties. They aren't role models. (laughs) It wasn't until Christianity became the established religion of the Roman Empire that the church authorities began to relax their attitudes toward birthday parties. They were simply too popular with the Mediterranean people. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. 
And so a high mass celebration of the birth of Jesus was scheduled to co-opt the Roman holiday of the victory of the sun. No coincidence at all. And from the 4th century to the 15th century, Christmas evolved in Western Europe. There was a Roman Catholic mass, usually celebrated late on Christmas Eve. And there was a continuation of all of the midwinter celebrations with their reverie associated with the winter solstice. Such traditions as gift giving, outdoor singing came to us from the ancient Roman holiday of the victory of the sun. Candle lighting, mistletoe, pine wreaths came to us from the ancient Germanic midwinter festivals, the Yuletide. Ireland, England, France, Spain, all over Europe, Christmas was a time of heavy drinking, orgies, and a license to rape associated with that holiday. It was a time to keep the children in. Then came the Protestant Reformation and its attempt to purify Christianity of all corruption. One of the corruptions targeted was Christmas. Not a biblical holiday, the reformers declared. Christmas, they discovered again. Look, the early church fathers had done it, and they read those early church fathers, and they said it's a pagan holiday. Full, another proof of Catholic corruption. So they tried to do away with Christmas. It's important to remember that the, the, these colonies that were to become the United States of America was settled by Protestants. Protestants. Protestants who didn't celebrate Christmas. So in the southern colonies, the Anglicans had parties at Christmas time and sang some songs. But it wasn't a big religious festival. And in the northern colonies, the people were Quakers, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, serious Protestants, not Anglicans. So no Christmas. People caught celebrating the holiday could be fined, banished. And it was out of this background, out of this background of a no Christmas holiday, in fact, that you could be fine for celebrating it, that the American Revolution emerged and the Unitarians and Universalists emerged in the time of the American Revolution. A free religion, not bound by creed, open to the inspiration of the Bible, but not bound by it. Given that, it's not surprising that the Unitarians would take a fresh look at Christmas made significant innovations based on their open faith. The years after American independence in cities like New York and Boston, Christmas parties that were so popular in England and in the South were becoming popular again, especially among younger people. And what the Unitarians saw was the reassertion of the midwinter festival with no religious support. No ethical support, except for what the Roman Catholics and Anglicans were doing, and that was a sideshow, small. So Harvard professor, we heard about it uh, in the children's story, a Unitarian named Charles Folan, a refugee from Germany, 1832, he gives a party with a German theme, 
for the Yule season. Introduce the decorated evergreen tree, centerpiece of the party. Within a few years, these trees became the fashion among all the Presbyterians, Congregationalists, Quakers of America. So it, wasn't, it was spread. In the story of all our ages, we also heard of Pierpont and his jingle bells. Now, Fallon's and, and Pierpont's contribution were mainly to decorations and pop culture. Significant, not significant religious contributions to redefining Christmas. But Unitarian Universalists did far more than contribute to the festive mood of the popular parties. We helped celebrate, celebrate and transform the religious meaning of the holiday. We helped create what we could call a holy day based on the values that Unitarians and Universalists were preaching. In a society characterized by open poverty, by individualism, by loneliness, and by violence, the Unitarians began to reassert some very important themes that now we associate with Christmas like they were always there. And it, not only the Unitarians in a, this New England and in the East Coast, but the Unitarians in England were revisioning Christmas. Most significantly, a young English writer publishing a story. It was bound to become the most popular Christmas story both in the United Kingdom and North America. The story transformed the cultural ideal of Christmas. It redefined what Christmas meant. Charles Dickens had grown up impoverished and much my, much, by much effort he achieved a token of success as a writer. And in the process of his struggles, he became aware of the disparity between rich and poor and the subservient role played by the education system, the courts, the press, and the church. And subsequent to that, he considered to be the hypocritical and greedy social classes that ran the country, he withdrew from all of that and became a radical. Dickens, the young radical, left the Church of England with a humbug to, to Orthodox religion. And after several years of searching, he became to London's Unitarian Essex Chapel, where he discovered something completely transformative to his life. He found a religion that proclaimed God's love, a religion that believed in the potential of everyone to change and become more caring and more genuinely helpful. And that was important to him where he was in his life. So when we look at the character Ebenezer Scrooge, Dickens is not creating a one-dimensional straw villain. Dickens, Scrooge's selfishness, according to Dickens, is the product of a childhood of fears and loneliness and insecurity. The Christmas Carol is the story of Scrooge's redemption. A redemption based on a Unitarian story of salvation. The unlikely agents of transformation are the wonderful literary inventions of Dickens, the Marley's ghost, the three spirits, the ghost of Jacob Marley comes to Scrooge, 
dragging long chains, forged, he says, in his lifetime, his fate after death, to search the earth for caring, helpful Marley. He is searching for that Marley. Who could have been? He warns Scrooge that if he doesn't heed the message, this fate's going to befall you. In his sleep, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to be. The characters lead Scrooge on a journey of self-discovery. And through this journey, he comes to understand himself, the lonely boy that he was, and his yearning for the love and approval of his family, and the yearning he never fulfilled. And he sees the many people who reached out to him and how his hurt and rejected youth refused to be open to them. And the Spirit showed Scrooge how people enjoy Christmas. Humble people, people with few resources, isolated people enjoying the simple joy of this festive time. The ghost exposed him to the hard life of the Crotchet family, the love of the nephew, the finally the ghost of Christmas yet to be shows Scrooge his own lonely death. The awakened Scrooge comes to realize he can change his life. And the redeemed Scrooge understands to be genuinely human, he must affirm the worth of others, not only in words, but in deeds, and through reaching out, affirm himself. The Christmas story is the renewal of the human spirit. It's the power to come to who you are. And Dickens is Scrooge. Dickens is working his own life story out in Scrooge. Dickens, like Scrooge, was a lonely child. And like Scrooge, his sister was the love of his childhood, the one who cared for him. Like in Tiny Tim, the child of the Crotchet family, Dickens' sister had a child with palsy. And who Dickens loved, loved more than anything else through the process of his long dying from poverty. Dickens had a bitter and angry with the world until he found love and caring at the Essex Street Chapel, the capacity to forgive. Dickens also shows us the abuse and neglect of children, the suffering of Tiny Tim and other impoverished children, and awakens Scrooge's conscience and seeing his own childhood, its pain, the choices he made to deal with that pain, and all these have a powerful, powerful role in the redemption of Scrooge. But Dickens isn't just talking about Scrooge. Millions of children are neglected in early industrial society, and the Unitarians of that generation were engaged in a crusade, an awakening, to save the children, to save the hope of tomorrow. That whole new emphasis on children and to ex that became part of the Christmas story on nurture, on education, on care, the emphasis flowing out of classical Unitarian theology, a theology that witnessed a belief that there was a divine spark in every person. Every person had that divine spark. 
And that began to win converts to what it meant to celebrate Christmas. The Christmas Carol was greeted with tremendous popularity. We now might take it for granted. And in fact, the way the television sometimes portrays it, it's, it's not... Uh, it's not so much in the dreams, he's actually transported out into the world, Scrooge is. Functioning as a story, only story can do to symbolize and make theology come to life. The new symbol of Tiny Tim becomes a symbol that's important to people all over North America and England and, uh, and the English-speaking countries. And, and it becomes associated with that other baby born in poverty, the baby Jesus. And, it, and so it begins to develop a new message of caring. Caring that's associated with whole efforts on the part of churches to develop outreach and build what's called Unitarian Sunday Schools. And Unitarian Sunday Schools were not simply internal affairs for religious education. They were efforts to create an opportunity for poor children to have an education on Sunday when they weren't working in the factories. They were set up by churches all over England and the United States. So that's one of the important, that whole revisioning around children. Many other Unitarians made contribution to this revolution understanding, too many to mention by name, but I want to single out one other, Edmund Hamilton Sears, the Unitarian minister who had been the minister in Wayland, Massachusetts, and he was recovering from a mental breakdown at the time. He had been the minister of a much larger church in Lancaster, Massachusetts, but Sears believed that religion had ethical consequences and that ethical consequences involved making statements, protesting. And when the United States declared war in Mexico in 1846, like many other ministers, Unitarian ministers, Sears denounced the war as a war of aggression, which was not popular. And frequently he spoke out against it. He spoke out against it, preached against it, asked his parishioners not to show up for militia duty. And the resulting controversy in his parish led to an emotional collapse in his resignation. And he left Lancaster. And he's welcomed back with love and affection in the little parish of Wayland which he, where he had been ordained. And on Christmas Day in 1848, the word spread around the village that the minister had written a new Christmas carol and wanted to try it out. Congregants hitched up their sleighs and the family piled and headed for Sears' farm. And one member brought a spinet and another a fiddle and they sang, it came upon a midnight clear. Carol was a major departure from Christmas music. We'll be able to sing it in a minute. And you might appreciate that it forged a new theme for the holiday, one we might take for granted today. We might just assume that's 
what songs are supposed to say at Christmas time. We've all heard the expression, peace on earth and goodwill toward all people. So often during the season we hear that, we don't recognize that saying from the words of Luke was not a Christmas slogan in general usage for 2,000 years. Lear's song was a controversial departure in the direction of social commentary. It angered conservatives. They hated it. They hated it. Listen to the words of the carol we sing so often. And we who fight the wars hear not the love song which they bring, the angels. Oh, harsh the noise of battle strife and hear the angels sing. In the midst of the invasion of Mexico, there was a clearly intentional anti-war song. Edmund Sears, the Pete Seeger of his time. And it's controversial that the New Yorker wrote these words. This is the New Yorker's review. It's just the kind of thing you can expect from those Unitarians. And it moved millions, became beloved and accepted, and take the theme of, theme of peace and goodwill toward all is among the most important of the Christmas slogans, much to the thanks of Edmund Sears and others. That you, If you go through the hymnal, by the way, you can, they have a little chalice next to the hymns, and if you, you notice there are a number of Christmas uh, songs written um, by, with those little symbols saying they were written by a Unitarian or a Universalist. Dickens, Sears, Longfellow, and others wrote stories, poetry, music, drama, song, and millions of ministers, many, thousands of churches witnessing this new way of looking at the Christmas holiday, the new way of celebrating it by actually volunteering to do some work to help people in poverty. These efforts <coughs> made the fact that Christmas moved from a formal high mass to celebrate the birth of the Savior God to a time of pop and a time of popular parties and heavy drinking and rowdy singing on the streets. But after these new efforts, the new Christmas story begins to emerge. A new story that we should say is a story that we, it was worthwhile and needs to be told again. That peace and goodwill toward all, the outreach to children, the notion of making a special efforts at helping the poor, the retelling of the beautiful story of the birth of Jesus, it became the story of the birth of love and the kindness in human affairs. These efforts, the Christmas spirit is no longer the rum and the punch bowl. It is now about being loving and showing kindness. It is a time to practice extending a helpful hand. Unitarians such as Sears and Dickens were critical of private, personal salvation. For both Sears and Dickens and for the people of their generation, religion had consequences, ethical consequences, social consequences. Religion was not designed to give individuals some kind of comfort but rather religion was intended to encourage growth and wholeness toward becoming a human person. 
Religion was about what kind of person you could be. And no one could find that fulfillment outside of human relationship. Thus, to truly celebrate the birthday of Jesus, they believe we must affirm and promote the ethical teachings of his ministry, which they summarize as working for peace and love of one's fellow human beings. Contemporary religious liberals have good reason to celebrate Christmas, for it provides them many opportunities to affirm our principles and to celebrate our values. Christmas reminds us in story, song, and sacred ritual that we are called to contribute to the song the angels sang, peace on earth, goodwill toward all. <laughs> 